And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Sunday evening here in the DMV. Hope everyone had a great weekend and uh, I believe there is a uh, federal holiday tomorrow, so or some kind of holiday tomorrow. Um, the, 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 the Monday holidays or really any of these holidays don't tend to mean too much to me, although it's not like I have to be anywhere this week. Next week. The NFL Combine, we're going to start leaning into the transactional part of the offseason here. I guess really this week, I'm going to have uh, Randy Mueller, a former NFL GM who works for The Athletic, on the podcast later in this week. Um, But for this episode, um, got a different flavor for you. I'll talk about some of my reactions to what Cliff Kingsbury and Joe Witt Jr. had to say the other day. But our guest today, uh, smart guy, Ben Baldwin, one of the uh, go-to guys for the analytics world on Twitter. He's at Ben B. Baldwin. Uh, we spoke the uh, towards the end of last week on a bunch of different topics. I wanted to get his view on Dan Quinn. Not only is Ben a, a, a noted uh, analytics uh, person. He's also a Seattle Seahawks fan, so I was curious to get his view on getting Mike McDonald instead of Dan Quinn. What did he think of the Quinn hire? What have some of the what has some of the data shown over time about a Dan Quinn team? And then, of course, same thing with Cliff Kingsbury. What what do some of the numbers tell us about what Kingsbury might bring to Washington based off of his time with the Arizona Cardinals? We also discussed the idea of investing in wide receivers, what's too much, too little, um, and on the receivers in terms of this offense, like with what Kingsbury might be able to do, what happened last year? Why did it seem like the receivers were struggling to get open? Uh, I asked Ben about that. And then also, a a person who I think is very intriguing that I just really have, we, we have not asked any of the new principles about yet, and that is Eugene Shen, who is um, Washington's uh, basically what, VP of analytics, more or less, um, football strategy, I think is the official title. And so I asked Ben, who again is in that world, hey, what do you what do you know about Eugene Shen? So he gives us some insight into him. Doesn't know him, but you know he, he's able to give us some in. He, he's able to give us some insight that uh, I, I wouldn't have otherwise uh from things that ben was able to take a look at so we'll get to all of that in a moment here on the podcast which you can find on itunes spotify or anywhere you do your podcasting um i will have some stories up this week on the athletic um leaning again more towards the draft so you can check that out uh on the athletic if you subscribe to the website um and of course follow me on twitter or x at Ben Standing. Um, all right, so I wanted to go back a, a little bit. Last week, at the end of the last week, I talked to Nikki Jabala at the Post. At that point, we knew about the hires. So the whole staff, I believe we discussed 
the staff in detail, including the new coordinators, offensive uh, Cliff Kingsbury, defensive Joe Witt Jr. But as media members, we all had a chance to talk to them on Thursday. First impressions of them. You know, as a media person, we're looking at it for a few different ways. Obviously, what are they saying? But also, how are they communicating? What is... What is what are they showing us? What are they giving us? What what does this mean for everybody going forward? Um, very different uh, styles between the two. I'll start with Kingsbury because he went first. Um, you know, look, I, I, it's funny. It's very similar to what I think we've had. Um, what what you get from a lot of the, the 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 coordinators, the offensive guys generally are a little bit more. Um, analytic I don't want to say analytical base like meaning like analytics but like more a little more thoughtful to a degree where the defensive guys tend to become a little more emotional uh, a little more passionate with, with when they speak Cliff Kingsbury fit into that model didn't give us much at all he kind of dodged some questions I asked one about Caleb Williams and um you know he didn't say much other than he thinks Caleb's a, you know a good kid um he uh, he did push back. What, you know, he was asked about the air raid offense and what that might look like here, and he basically said air. That he didn't he, he didn't want anybody to sort of associate whatever's going to happen here with that term. I think some of that was in reverence to the guy who is viewed as the creator of it, more or less, and that's or who at least popularized it on the college level, and that's the late Mike Leach, who was uh, Kingsbury's coach at Texas Tech. Um, but I think also, look, he's he's had to make adjustments. He already did with the Arizona Cardinals. And, you know, I think the hope is whatever adjustments he's learned, he's had time to reconsider what worked, what didn't work. Arizona was 11th in yards, in yards gained in 2021, the year they won double-digit, uh, had double-digit wins. But all the other years they were, you know, that was the high watermark for sure. <laughs> Um, he had a year off. He went to USC to work there as a senior offensive analyst. He said he would lo- he learned from uh, Lincoln Riley, the USC head coach, which is actually kind of an interesting one because Lincoln Riley has had a lot of great success developing quarterbacks in college. He, you know, Baker Mayfield was kind of you know he was not the guy who was being viewed as a Heisman Trophy winner who would be the number one pick, and then that happened. He had Jalen Hurts, who transferred from Alabama to Oklahoma. And uh, I think really did, you know, really improved tremendously as a passer from what we saw at Alabama. He helped him. And then, of course, he's got uh, Caleb Williams now. So, you know, if Kingsbury really, you know, was able to take that year and learn from somebody like Lincoln Riley, I think that's a very, hopefully a very good thing now that he's going to develop whomever it's going to be, uh, whether they trade up to number one, if that's what it takes to get Caleb Williams, they stay at two to get Drake May or... Jaden Daniels, obviously Sam Howell is still here on the roster. Who knows what they would do? So, um, you know, look, again, he didn't give us a ton to work with. And to be fair, any questions about the roster or the draft or agency, all of that is incredibly premature, right? I'll just say this as a blanket statement. If anybody comes out in the next week, two, even maybe three weeks or so, and says they're hearing X about the commanders, I would really probably ignore it unless I tell you that. Uh, because they're just getting together. Like one question that that uh, was asked, asked of Kingsbury was about Anthony Lynn, who is part of the staff. He's going to be the running backs coach and the run game coordinator. 
along with Kingsbury and Quinn, another former head coach. He's been a coordinator, right? So an interesting person to add to your staff. On top of that, uh, Kingsbury noted that Anthony Glenn is also a Texas Tech alum, right? So presumably he and he and Lynn know each other, but they have not worked together. And so when he was asked, Kingsbury was asked, how is this gonna, Lynn going to fit? He just said flat out, look, it's kind of too early to tell. And that can be perhaps a little bit scary in terms of the, you know, do they does Dan Quinn, do they know what they're getting here with their staff? Do they know how the pieces are going to fit? That That's a time we'll, we'll, we'll tell scenario. But they're still working it all out. I'm not worried about that. That's when you have a new staff and you don't do kind of what Ron Rivera did, bring in a ton of people from the previous place, you're going to have to get, this is an adjustment period. They're hoping that adjustment period leads to a lot of a lot of creativity to figure out the best system for this team, etc. Um, but so again, my point is just to say that I, it's not that I was expecting Kingsbury to come out and give us a ton. He just, you know, he, he was pretty reserved about giving us kind of much about anything. Um, but obviously there's like some excitement here with his type of um, creative offenses. Uh, there's also some level of concerned or skepticism based on what his track record was at Arizona. Nonetheless, obviously that's going to be the guy and he's got uh, some interesting help. I mentioned Lynn, Brian Johnson, the ex Eagles offensive coordinator is now here. Now the way my understanding is with Johnson uh, and if we said this on the previous podcast, apologies. So he, his title is officially offensive assistant, offensive head coach and passing game coordinator. The, Assistant offensive coach part is is more about him getting a chance to learn what Dan Quinn is doing or what a head coach does, um, you know, every week. Um, but it's still Kingsbury's offense, so just keep that in mind. Um, you know, so Johnson will have a, a will be helping with the quarterbacks, the offense, and learning the ropes uh, along with uh, Dan Quinn or not Dan Quinn knows the ropes, but you know, what I mean, he'll be learning. Uh, while watching and Dan Quinn and getting to take on some of the in-house responsibilities that a head coach uh, deals with at times. Uh, Joe Witt Jr., very different story. Super passionate uh, guy up there. Whether He was really uh, on his... Uh, he was on detail, I would say, with um, his conversation. Uh, the when, when we have shorthands, like... You know, in week six, we're not all going to be introducing ourselves as high Ben standard with the athletic. Um, but whenever there's a new person coming in, right, or at least the first couple times, they ask us, hey, could you introduce yourself on your affiliation? Um, and I think for the most part, people did that. But, you know, occasionally somebody forgets, you know, you, you know, whatever. And Joe Witt, when, he, when that happened, he would say, hey, excuse me, could you state your name and affiliation because he's trying to learn us as well that to me said something off the bat he is engaged he is he isn't learning who he is dealing with um i think that's notable just in terms of how his again his engagement how his how his brain works um but he brought a lot of energy and passion if you if you haven't had a chance or if you're interested i would encourage you go for uh, the, the commanders posted it up on uh, twitter the, the the live stream you know, he brought a lot of energy, as I said, I'm going to stop saying that, um, to, to the situation. Um, he talked about, you know, that he didn't get into like 4-3 or 3-4, any of that stuff. He said it's a more about what what's our play style? How are we going to get after people? And he basically said they're going to do it a pretty, in like a violent way. That what they're going to do is not going to be for everybody. And they're going to figure out 
who fits and who doesn't fit with them. You know, their turnovers, Dallas led the league in, in uh, takeaways in 2021 and 2022. And they were basically a top seven defense in most metrics or a lot of metrics the three years of Dan Quinn and Joe Witt running that defense on top of the fact that Dallas had a player lead the league in interceptions in 2021 and 2023. So, you know, he's talking about in this aggressive style. Look, everybody says they're going to be aggressive and hit hard and all those things. I'm just saying that my impression of him, the way he spoke, and then also the numbers are based on what Dallas did the last few years, you know, I think does say something about what they're going to try to do. What he also said, which I found very interesting on the heels of the Rivera era, is that they, you know, this whole staff is not the same staff again. It's not like Rivera had brought in like a dozen or so people from Carolina here. This is a group that, yeah, Dan Quinn knows Joe Witt, and Joe Witt knows uh, Jason Simmons, the new uh, passing game coordinator for the defense because they were together in Green Bay and, you know, this person and that person. And okay. But like in general, this is not a staff that's been working together. And so that, you know, that dynamic can cause some fears. I saw a lot of you on Twitter saying, hey, look what Carolina happened, uh, happened to Carolina last year where they had this sort of all star coaching staff and then it completely imploded. My counter to that part would be, well, David Tepper doesn't work here now, right? He works there, not here, or he owns that team. Um, But others, like I I mentioned Randy Mueller earlier. I was listening to Randy Mueller and Mike Sando's podcast on The Athletic uh, as part of The Athletic Football Show, and I love their podcast for what it's worth. Uh, But, you know, they were both a little concerned about, based off of the article that I wrote, uh, that this was sort of Washington's plan. I, I have a slightly different view of it in that, look, you never know how it's going to work. But in the context of what they just went through, there are now more checks and balances involved, right? There are more people. It's not, it should not be uh, everybody just sort of nodding and agreeing along. There should be some more conversation about how to, you know, basically take, you know, take advantage of the strengths and weaknesses of this team as well, or hide the weaknesses. And, you know, what do you do to combat things that people maybe already know that, that Quinn, uh, was it might do based on what he did in Dallas the last uh, three years. So Witt said that, hey, look, we purposely brought in people from a lot of different systems to be with us because we wanted to get a different view of the world. And, you know, obviously you have the Dallas guys. You have Ken Norton Jr., who was with Quinn in Seattle, was at UCLA the last couple of years. The new defensive line coach, Daryl Tapp, was with the 49ers. The new DB coach, uh, Tommy Donatel, was with the Chargers. And, uh, you know, the offense has got even less familiarity. So, you know, look, I appreciate it based on what just happened in the in the last re- regime where I don't know how much disagreement there was with, with everybody kind of feeling somewhat be- beholden to the, um, to the guy in charge. That should not be the case here. And that's not even mentioning Adam Peters. So I know I've said some of that before, but I just wanted to reemphasize that as well. A uh, long way to go. Again, free agency will be coming up, then the draft. Uh, so, you know, the next couple months are going to be all about the roster building and, you know, what, what makes the most sense. We'll dive into a lot of these different topics. By the way, the franchise tag situation is this week. Teams can start doing that this week. I, I just don't see Washington being a tag team this year. You know, Kendall Fuller's, or sorry, 
Cam Curl is the one name that people mentioned, but I just think Cam Curl, look, he's a good player, and they did a great job finding him in the seventh round to become a viable starter. But, you know, he hasn't generated a, a ton of turnovers really at all. And, you know, a, a tag would be somewhere like the $17 million range. So I don't see that happening. On top of the fact that they do have some interesting secondary pieces, you know, with uh, Quan Martin, Derek Forrest, Percy Butler. By interesting, I don't necessarily mean starters. Interesting, though, I would be curious what the new coaching staff thinks of them. Can they get more out of them? I believe it was uh, Lewis Riddick with ESPN, I want to say, with with ESPN sort of pre, uh, you know, sort of quick look ahead to the next season. I think he had like Emmanuel Forbes as like his breakout player, and I guess that's in part because of who will be working with him. Um, so, uh, you know, there, there's a ways to go on that front, but in terms of Cam Curl, I just don't see that the investment makes sense for a team that needs so many things right now that, you know, looks like they'll have quarterback taken care of most likely with the draft, but then you've got the offensive line, especially at left tackle. If, if Charles Leno is a cap cut defensive end, I think, you, you know, if Kendall Fuller is not back and I'm kind of guessing he won't be just based on age uh and potential money that uh you know th- they may need to get another corner as well those are premium positions that if they go into free agency will cost some good money so i don't know if i see cam curl back on a tag doesn't mean he won't be back at all i just don't see it on the tag and he would be the only person i think would even make borderline sense uh for that so i don't see that being uh, in play this time which i'm sure a lot of you are like oh good thank fortunate every you know they play the tag game all the time. We don't, don't need that uh, anymore. All right. Um, more to come this week, as I said. But right now, here's my conversation with Ben Baldwin talking about the commanders from an analytics point of view or somebody who at least has an analytics uh, brain for sure. So here we go. Ben Baldwin on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, uh, joining me here on the podcast, one of the uh, football smart guys out there. He's when, when we talk about, uh, I, I don't know if he likes being defined by saying when we talk about analytics, we, we think we, we think of him, but I do at least at uh, Ben Baldwin at Ben B Baldwin on Twitter. Uh, he's also the guy at, you go to for the when you're like, what what are they supposed to do here on fourth down? Uh, at Ben underscore bot underscore Baldwin on uh twitter ben thanks uh for being uh for, for, for being back how uh how's life over there in the fast lane uh life's pretty good uh, i'm looking forward to the transition to the draft and it, it it's kind of hard to believe that the nfl season is over now it really is i mean it's already like the middle of february like people say to me all the time oh the season ended you're gonna get to re- you know relax a little bit i'm like <laughs> When? I mean, obviously this year there was a coaching search, which we we're going to get into. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, the Super Bowl just ended and free agency starts yep. soon. And like the draft, obviously, that's going to be a big topic here. And, uh, you know, when uh, when the time comes, you've got thoughts on Caleb Williams and Jaden Daniels and the rest. Uh, definitely would love to get you back on. But, yeah, it, it, there's no there's no break in the NFL. It just goes. There's like a, there's, there's, there's like the month basically between OTAs and training camp. And that's like it. Yeah, it's in a couple of weeks, right? That the franchise tags have to be decided, and then you're in free agency, and then the draft. So there, there's just one thing after another, very quickly. <laughs> right, and and the fact that the NFL is just so dominant. I mean, the ratings thing is so. Like, have you noticed? Like every every not just with the NFL, but like everything, the ratings are like the highest ratings ever for whatever the thing is. Like every every game, especially the NFL, but like 
I don't know. Are we just all at home? Like nobody goes anywhere anymore. We just all stay at home and watch sports. Is that what we do? Yeah. And especially the NFL, there's like the Super Bowl is the great example of everyone in the world who's not even interested in sports. They're going to tune in because everybody else is watching and because of the halftime show and all this stuff. Like my my wife has no interest in sports, but Usher during halftime. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll watch that with you. Oh, I mean, the busiest. Well, and, and that's the thing, right? I, the, the, so, right, the Super Bowl set the record this year, not just for the Super Bowl. I saw it was the most watched television event since we walked on the moon <laughs> in 1969, <laughs> right? Back at a point when there's, you know, three channels, you know, th- there's nothing else to do but watch TV. Um, this is where the Taylor Swift thing really comes into play. I mean, the busiest text thread I had throughout the game was with uh, two women in my world who couldn't care less about football. All they wanted to discuss, of course, was Taylor Swift and anytime Kelsey uh, did anything. That ha- that, that that was like such a massive variable this year. It's so bizarre. Yep. I, I have a six-year-old daughter who about a year ago discovered Taylor Swift, and that was definitely her primary interest was Travis Kelsey catching passes, especially scoring a touchdown, which unfortunately didn't happen, just so that she could see Taylor Swift on TV. So I'm I'm definitely in that world now. <laughs> well, you know, it's 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 uh it, I, it's a fun world to be in. I I imagine it's the, the the it is wild the obsession that that people have with with, with her. But she keeps meeting. Uh, you know, she 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 doesn't falter. It doesn't appear other than maybe her some of her exes would would disagree with that. I don't know. I, I don't want to get into that. I don't want to get yelled at here. Um, let's get to, to to the commanders. Beyond being uh, a smart guy who, who who's got a really good feel for analytics, you are a bit of a Seattle Seahawks guy. From everything uh, I can I can tell in your Twitter feed, yes. you have interest there. <laughs> um, which is interesting, of course, in this case because Washington and Seattle were the last two teams to get a head coach. The assumption was that when Pete Carroll was demoted, moved to a different position, whatever you want to say. Um, that Dan Quinn immediately became a heavy favorite. Everybody was viewing Dan Quinn as one of the top candidates to cycle. He had been Seattle's defensive coordinator when they won a Super Bowl, all these kinds of things. And then we go through the process, and it's like, wait a minute. They, they, Seattle could have hired Dan Quinn a week ago. What, what is it? What, what, what is going on here? And that's what I started getting in on the – was one of the reasons why I started thinking Ben Johnson, perhaps, opposite they landed on Mike McDonald. Where were you on the Dan Quinn thing? Were you like, that makes sense, I'm down with it, or – from whatever perspective, your football perspective, a numbers perspective, were you less than enthused about the possibility of, of him going to Seattle or, you know, the fa- or Washington for that matter? Yeah. So uh, apologies to commanders fans, because they're probably not going to like my answer very much here, but I, so when Quinn was initially tied to Seattle, I was kind of terrified and I would have been very not excited if that had been the choice. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One is that it would have felt almost pointless going from in Seattle's case, Pete Carroll to Dan Quinn, or in the commander's case, Ron Rivera to Dan Quinn, where you're going from this established defensive minded head coach to another one who in Dan Quinn, I don't think he's a bad head coach, but he already had his, we've seen him be a head coach. He, I think he was a perfectly fine head coach, but not somebody who's going to be like a long run difference maker at head coach. And The other piece of this to me was if you look at the coaches that really do make a difference year year after year, the the coaches that are consistently able to take their teams deep in the playoffs, the vast majority of these are 
coaches that can provide their team an edge in terms of offensive scheme and offensive play calling. So this is the Kyle Shanahan who's gone to the Super Bowl with two quarterbacks, Sean McVay who's gone to the Super Bowl with two quarterbacks, and even recently Mike uh, Mike McDaniel hasn't had playoff success, but like he's turned around his team. Um, uh, Matt Lafleur, who's uh, the Packers head coach, like all the, all these people, I think have really changed the trajectory of your franchise and. Among recent hires, it's hard to see similar. Oh, Andy Reid, of course. <laughs> I should have mentioned. Sure. Um, it, it's hard to find examples of defensive coaches or head coaches really turning around their franchise. And maybe DeMarco Bryant's will end up being that guy for the Texans, but it's only been a year. So for me, I wanted somebody who was more of the mold of somebody who hasn't had his chance, somebody who um, had possibly even calling plays of a good offense. And for me, this was like a, a Ben Johnson, Bobby Sloak type. And if you think of Dan Quinn, this is like the, the furthest thing away from that, where he's a, a defensive head coach already had his chance. And it would just be hard to think of him as being a significant upgrade over either Pete Carroll in Seattle's case or Ron Rivera in the commander's case. So I wouldn't be that excited if I were a commander's fan, but that, that, that's what they have so fingers crossed for them right obviously there have been defensive co- uh minded coaches who succeeded bill belichick being the most obvious and pete carroll as well yeah. but you're talking broadly just in general if all things being equal if you have um because every every individual has their own secret sauce so we can't factor in how their brain works or what they do in you know in, in, a, in a clutch moment um but in general you're, you're saying that and look a lot of fans are on board with that. I mean, look, here the reality is all the people you just named, except for Andy Reid, does these uh offensive-minded guys who are succeeding. As we all know, we're all here on the 2013 staff with Mike Shanahan. We've been beaten over the head with that a hundred times. And I think that's what made everybody for a lot of people so frustrating was that Ben Johnson was like, okay, now we're gonna get our guy, Ben Johnson, Ben Johnson, Ben Johnson. Okay, fine. He left whatever the reason, or he didn't he didn't come for whatever the reason. But then it ends up being, as a lot of people are saying, somebody who's at least you can compare directly to Ron Rivera and somebody who's very the opposite of a cutting edge um, per- persona. That said, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, Pete Carroll, you know, wasn't a success. His first two stops goes to Seattle, finds, uh, you know, finds another level, uh, et cetera. Uh, Dan Quinn obviously had th- three really good years as the def- as de- defensive coordinator for the Dallas, unless you taint, everything is tainted because of the Green Bay loss in the end. <laughs> How, how, how do you view that aspect that, like, hey, people improve, people get better. He did do good things in Dallas, but again, their lack of playoff success. How, how do you look at that in terms of this hire? Yeah, the the question about the the Dan Quinn defense, I think is interesting in, in Atlanta. Those teams had really good offenses and not great defenses. And this makes sense because they had Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and Kyle Shanahan on the offensive side of the ball. And I think a lot of their success especially that the 2016 season when they went to the Super Bowl was because of the offensive side of the ball. And yes, in Dallas, the defenses have absolutely been better, but they've also had a lot more talent where um, you're more likely to have good defensive results if your team drafted Micah Parsons. I I think that might've been the first year that Dan Quinn was there. It was also Micah Parsons' first year. So they, they have a lot of talent on that side of the ball and that is a completely different situation than the commanders right now where they have a lot of work to do on that side of the ball. So how dare you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. They're and like, and it's not, I don't say that in a bad way because they, they correctly knew that they were not going to be contenders this year. So they, 
got assets that they could, but um, now that they have those assets, they have work to do to, to rebuild that side of the wall. And it's, I think it's unrealistic to expect that they're going to have similar defensive results to the Cowboys, at least in the short term, but and not because of, not, not because Quinn is a bad coach, just because I think defensive results are so um, driven by the personnel that you have. So when, I don't know if you uh, have a way or if you even bother to like say, okay, here are all the head coaching jobs that are available this cycle. I'm going to do some projections as to what I think should happen. And, you know, whether it's putting people in a certain spot or just ranking the, the guys, whatever it may be. I, I don't know if you do that or not. But, like, obviously this offseason it became a lot more of this leader of men yep, mantra, yep. in part because of the success that Dan Campbell had. I mean, he's not the first guy to be sort of more of the, you know, uh, pure football guy. Although, again, in his case, there's a lot of – uh, he's maybe the four the, the forerunner of is that the right word? I don't know of, of analytics right now in terms of the NFL head coaches that he is as aggressive as he is. How do you factor in that idea? Because that was my one wonder with Ben Johnson. You can be a great play caller, it doesn't mean you were the guy to stand in front of that room and get them focused, ready, whatever for the game. How do you factor that in when you're looking at hey, this person has really good numbers in their system, but I, are they that are they that person? Yeah, I think that's a completely fair point where on the outside, there's so much that we don't know about. Like, we don't know how they interviewed and how the people making these hiring decisions think that they will be at actually leading an NFL team. And they're there. It's and it's not just Dan Campbell that is an example of like the leader of men type scheme. There's also both Harbaugh's, I think, would fall into that category. And Mike Tomlin. Obviously, yeah, Mike, Mike Tomlin. And it's it's not that you can't have success doing that obviously there are a lot of coaches have, that have been where they are for a long time have had very successful teams i just think if you're going to make a bet i i think it is not the bet that i would personally make the other thing we haven't mentioned is that it's possible that and i'm sure you know a lot more about this than i do it's possible that the history of the commanders made it harder for them to land interviews and um, have people interested where like there's possibly uncertainty with the new ownership and like all all those leaked quotes about NBA style leadership or whatever. And right, it, it's if if some of that is true, it's kind of hard to fault the commanders for landing who they did if if we don't know who was actually interested in them at the same time. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was a confluence of things. I think there's just you know, look uh, until. Without Dan Snyder here, it is a completely different world. I'm sure even you, because yeah. you, you live yeah. in the area, even you could probably feel it. Just it's not the same deal. Um, and they did get Adam Peters, who was viewed as the number one GM target yeah. this offseason. So it didn't it wasn't an issue there. But yes, yeah, sir, there, there's some of that. And uh, you know, also look, the reality is they were a, they have the number two pick in the draft for a reason. Like people were wondering because <clears throat> we were all comparing why would Ben Johnson pick this team over Washington. And we're viewing it from the perspective of he's got the number two pick in the draft. It's kind of a clean slate, all that stuff. But he's an offensive guy. When it was Mike McDonald, people are like, still using the same mindset as Ben Johnson. Well, Washington's a great spot. Well, Seattle is much closer to making the playoffs yeah. than Washington. Seattle has much better pieces on defense than Washington. Seattle's just been a much better organization for years than Washington. They have much better facilities all these things. Eventually, the commanders will improve in, in the facilities. But, like, yeah, for right now, it's not much of a real debate unless you are just that interested in the number two pick and you completely buy into what the new ownership group is selling. Yeah, it's definitely a different situation than 
think you have an established quarterback and veterans around this this really is rebuilding from zero and the benefit of that is that maybe you get the benefit of it out for a longer time because you're coming in where there's there's really not this long history of success but at the same time there is there's a lot more uncertainty and work you have to do to build it up from the ground yeah no no doubt um all right that said like i said i think the dan quinn thing you know we've, we've moved past the, the the ben johnson chaos and pe- okay dan quinn i think he you know quote unquote won the press conference he's got the energy all that stuff then the focus became who's going to be his offensive coordinator right Yep, and you know we're you know everybody's speculating and blah blah blah, and it lands ultimately on Cliff Kingsbury, and somehow this has now become I think more of a polarizing choice than Dan Quinn himself because when you just look at the basic numbers on Kingsbury, you're like, I don't know, his Texas Tech teams didn't win that much, his Arizona teams only won the one year. Of course, the 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 hope is that he really did have a lot to do with Patrick Mahomes' development at Texas Tech, that he had a lot to do with Kyler Murray in the positive way with the Cardinals. And that last year he was with Caleb Williams at USC. But from your perspective, I don't know, good hire, not a good hire. I mean, it, it feels like a guy who keeps falling, failing forward is, is the way I've heard it described. And I don't necessarily disagree. So what do you think about the, the Kingsbury hire? Yeah, I'm with you there in that I think it's kind of surprising that he got another NFL or an NFL offensive coordinator job so quickly after what happened in Arizona, where <clears throat> maybe you could talk yourself into him being a really good developer of quarterbacks and that's probably some of the logic of hiring him if you have the number two pick and there's two great quarterback prospects but in terms of his offensive scheme there were so this is not something I'm qualified to lay to weigh in on but all the people who do this kind of stuff like watch tape and look at scheme like there there was always so much criticism of like everything looks static DeAndre Hopkins is lining up in the exact same spot and running the exact same route a million times a game, a million times a game, and it just—it seemed like they were more easy to defend than a lot of other coaches would have um, had it be in the same situation. So maybe the hope is that he's evolved some over the last couple of years. But again, sorry to Commanders fans, this would not be a hire that I would be super excited about. Don't worry, I'll come up with some <laughs> other topics to get everybody happier. Um, no, but I mean, like I said, it, it's. You know, look, he's only being asked to be the coordinator. He's not asked to be the head coach. That can be a big difference. We went through the North Turner here as the head coach. He's much better off as an offensive coordinator, as we've learned over time, than as a head coach. Um, So we'll see. Maybe that, you know, not having those extra responsibilities. And and I think that was also part of the deal with Ben Johnson, seemingly, that he just didn't want to deal with the other stuff. Um, That's important. Um, So on the one hand, like, okay, he, he's obviously going to have a young quarterback, whether that's Sam Howell or more likely somebody they take at number two. He's also got receivers in Terry McLaurin and uh, Jahan Dotson. Brian Robinson is the back as the running back. They obviously have to upgrade the offensive line and some other stuff, but like there's at least a couple of pieces to kind of sort of maybe work with there. Um, do you like Cliff Kingsbury with these pieces based on, you know, again, they have to do more, but like, does that do anything for you? So I think given that they have the number two pick, it's much less bad of a situation than some other highly drafted quarterbacks that we've seen. And the obvious example here are the Panthers where it's possible that Bryce Young just isn't going to cut it as an NFL quarterback, but the situation that he was drafted into is also just so rough because they 
they already weren't a very talented team, but they had to give up all these assets to trade up for him. And now like they just, their offensive line is not very good and they don't have many, if any, reliable receivers. And I think the situation in Washington is a lot better than that, where they have, like they have, I think they have a decent receiver room and a decent offensive line, meaning like maybe average, which isn't maybe what you want, but it's a lot better than a lot of teams that ended up with the second pick in the draft. Um, there are you you are really good every week putting up different charts to show whatever whatever the topic is that, that you're looking at. Obviously, quarterbacks get a lot of attention. And sometimes I'm not saying yours, but just in general, sometimes there's something that'll say, boy, this quarterback, here's a chart that shows accuracy among quarterbacks. Where are they getting the ball? And which, you know, which uh, quadrants are they in? Um, Sam Howell tended to be in like not the better quadrants. Yep. Yep. But then there's also, I know ESPN certainly has this and maybe you do as well, that show how how uh, good receivers are at getting separation. And I, I know that McLaurin and Dotson in particular ranked towards the bottom in that. And then, of course, last year was Eric Bieniemy's first year here. He's got to do all these things. Uh, to whatever degree, it's still on your brain, Washington's offense from last year. Where do you – where did you – I don't know if to put the blame, but where do you put the fault? Because I do think this is interesting in the sense of – I don't know. But is, are McLaurin and Dotson just not that great at getting open? Or was it, was it, was it Eric Bieniemy's scheme? Was it Sam Howell's – inability to like throw when somebody isn't open like as best you can say what do you kind of put from last year and how does that sort of translate moving forward yeah i think it is it is very very hard to disentangle quarterback play from wide receiver play in in terms of like putting together measures or metrics i think and this this isn't a knock on the measures themselves other than saying it's a really really hard problem and like to take the separation thing, for example, like a lot of a quarterback's job is like understanding the defense, going through progressions and then throwing to the the right receiver in the progression, let's say. And quarterbacks who do that successfully are going to be finding open receivers and quarterbacks who don't are going to be finding less open receivers. So even if you look at something like receiver separation, even that I think can be affected by how effective the quarterback is. And that, that that's not saying that it has to be the case that um, that's what we're seeing in Washington, just that anytime we see a receiver measure, even like receiver grade, it's still influenced by quarterbacks because it's like, if you're a receiver, it's a lot easier to look good. If your quarterback is actually throwing you catchable balls, going back to Howell, I think that the probability of a fifth round pick who hasn't exactly lit the world on fire in his first two seasons is of, turning things around is probably pretty low. And given that they have a number two pick, it's not really like, it, I, I think it's a no brainer to take a, a quarterback there just because like the, the chances of the, whoever they pick at number two, turning into the guy and being somebody who really turns around the franchise is just so much higher than um, a Sam Howell. Yeah, no, 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 dad. I, I, I have to eventually stop saying maybe Sam Howell, but like there's a lot of Sam Howell, Howley acts out there and, <laughs> I don't know. You know, there is a world where they decide to trade down and get a lot of picks. Like if they if they don't fall in love with Daniels or May, and you know, then maybe how's the stopgap? Like I personally would almost never start a rookie quarterback because I'm not saying you have to go full Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers and sit them three years, but I would wait. And Drake May is like 21, so maybe there's a world where you say, "Hey Sam, how you go play this year?" Um, 
or, or or not. But you know, w- one thing I find so interesting in from like a roster building perspective, and I saw you got into this a little bit on Twitter the other day, is how much investment do you make into the wide receiver position? Um, I I think the Chiefs clearly buy into what I kind of view it, except to the extreme, because they have the guy who will make everybody better, just like the the Patriots did. With, with Brady, it didn't almost matter who was playing the position that they can devalue how much they want to spend there. Now, I think they were a little bit too light this year. You know, with MVS, he did get a touchdown. He played much better in the playoffs, but was a kind of a mess in the season. And then, yeah. you know, it's so hilarious that McCole Hardman's the one that got the. It would only have been funnier <laughs> if, if Kadarius Tony had gotten the uh, the touchdown. Um, but at the same point, like when I mean, and they also have Travis Kelsey. Let's not pretend they don't. If we factor him as a wide receiver, then they have one of the better ones in the league. But in terms of that position, they didn't spend a lot. And the the discussion you were getting into is, did Kansas City make some great move by trading Tyreek Hill rather than investing more money in a position where certainly you need – he's great, but when you have Mahomes, you don't need it. Versus, like, say, a Washington scenario, they've made a lot of investments at receiver, paying McLaurin, paying Samuel, drafting Dotson at the first, but none of those guys are Tyreek Hill – and now it feels like to me they've overinvested the position and not getting nearly the production uh, out of it. So, well, I guess the, you, you don't need me to explain your point. What, what's your point on on sort of the investment at receiver? Yeah, I think it's important to. So, when we talk about investment, there's there's two ways you can invest, right? One is to spend your salary cap dollars on wide receivers, and another is to use draft picks on wide receivers. With the Chiefs, they have not. Um, in general, they have not spent a ton of money bringing in outside receivers, although it was it MVS that actually has a decent sized contract. So maybe, maybe even that's not fully true, but um, what they have done is they've thrown a lot of draft capital at the position. And I think it was like three second round picks plus whatever they traded to get Tony. Cause they, it was a second for rice, rice, more Hardman. And then they also traded for, Tony and that's a lot of investment people just think they didn't invest because a lot of those other than rice the draft picks didn't really work out but if rice ends up hitting then they have rice Kelsey and Mahomes and that that's enough to win a Super Bowl apparently I think the lesson if anything the lesson is that wide receivers are pretty important because we saw this year before the emergence of rice their offense just like even with Kelsey and Mahomes their offense looked so disjointed for a really long time. And then eventually they got Rice to develop and step up, and that was barely enough for them. But I think we have seen that not having Tyreek Hill, Mahomes can still make all these downfield throws. He just doesn't have as many chances to anymore because they don't have Hill. And I think the trade worked out for them. They got a ton of assets in return and the salary cap dollars to pay Chris Jones or whoever they needed to fit under the cap, and it worked out. But I'm not convinced that looking at the career trajectory of Tyree Kill shows us that his value is has not been high to either the Chiefs or the Dolphins. Right. Well, well, let me ask you this. Um, everything is relative to your options, yes. right? I mean, that's why certain commodities in the world are more expensive than others because there's less of it or it's harder to get or whatever. So like when people discuss, like Kirk Cousins is going to be a free agent, is a free agent this year. And there's going to be a discussion, but boy, who should go get Kirk Cousins? He's obviously pretty good. Let's assume he recovers from his his injury. But you're paying a lot of money for a guy who a lot of people don't look at. at, He's certainly not Mahomes, and a lot of people don't look at him as a real difference maker. On the other hand, the gap between Kirk Cousins and the 15 names behind him is 
pretty significant. At receiver, though, it doesn't feel like it's the same deal. Every year, every I get here's here's what you can say about the NFL draft. Every year, they're going to say the receiver class is deep. Yep, yep. Every year, there's constantly guys coming in, and that's where I guess I would wonder, like, you know, Washington paid Terry McLaurin a lot of money. I get why they did it. I'm not even knocking it, but he, as good as he is, he is not one of those big difference makers at that position. So, to a degree, you know, you could make an argument they maybe have overspent. I, I'm just. I'm not saying you say this, but like maybe they overspend versus a team that's going to spend a lot on Kirk Cousins or somebody else in that range is going to be like, well, yeah, maybe he doesn't get us to the point, but what the alternatives are just not there. And I guess that for me is part of this discussion of the investment at receiver. I just think there's more options, whereas like at quarterback, good luck. Yeah, that's a good point. And with the receivers, it to some extent, it almost doesn't matter how good your receiver room is if you don't have a quarterback. So right. um, I don't think Sam Howell was the worst quarterback in the league this year, but I think Terry McLaurin could be a lot more valuable if the commanders did have a better um, quarterback. And there were a lot of teams that Kirk Cousins would have made a huge difference for last year. Like if you think of like the Falcons or obviously the Jets were paying Aaron Rodgers, but if like all these teams with much better quarterback play could have had dramatically different seasons. And I, I think, yeah, that's certainly true to a much greater extent for quarterbacks than any other position, including wide receivers. Uh, yeah, for, for sure. Um, before I let you go, uh, it's, it's early in the process. I know you said you're going to dive into the draft, but any thoughts on um, the, the Caleb Williams, the Jaden Daniels, the Drake Mays, or at least anything, if you haven't gotten too far, anything you really want to like dive into to help you figure out what you think of them. I honestly, I have not, I have not thought about the draft in that um, that is of the two bends on this podcast that is much 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 more your specialty than it is mine. <laughs> <laughs> fair, 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 fair enough. Um, all right, look, you rock. I appreciate the time. Everybody should, of course, go follow uh, Ben on Twitter at Ben B Baldwin. Anything else we need to know? Anything anything you want to plug or mention? Uh, no. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm very interested in the Commanders off season. I. I, I'm not from here. I didn't grow up a Commanders fan, but since I'm local, there's there is a part of me that kind of does want them to be uh, exciting team to watch. So I, I I wish them a little bit of success. I'm, I mean, like the way I look at it, and I think you would maybe appreciate this. It it's not so. Uh, who knows if this is going to work? Maybe Dan Quinn is a terrible hire. Maybe none of it works. But at least it's all coming from a place of opportunity and logic. Before, no matter yeah. what they did, there was this massive drag on everything. Nothing was going to work to the degree you'd want it to. So at least, at least from that perspective, oh, anything's possible. I did forget to ask you one thing. Sorry, one last thing. Uh, maybe in a, in a, if you don't have a thought, I'll just delete this. Eugene Shen, uh, oh, they, yes. they, they hired um, during the season to basically run their analytics department. Do you have any feel for him? And, and if so, what's what do you make of that hire? And what does it mean to this organization? So I was curious because you sent me this question ahead of time. So before this, I was watching a talk he gave to, let's see, FAU Business um, in April 2021, because I was, I was curious about whether he had any public stated opinions. And a lot of what he talked about was things that like you'll see or read about on Twitter. So he, he talked about like the benefit of going for it on fourth and short, of um, trading down in the draft. So I don't. I would be surprised if the commanders traded down, given that they have the second overall pick this year. But maybe in the future, 
So all of these things seem very aligned with what the quote unquote analytics community believes. And I think that's pretty representative of people that work for teams in the league. And the the biggest barrier to implementation isn't really the analysts, but rather the extent to which the people making decisions are listening to these analysts and maybe hiring him and the direction the team is going is a more um, encouraging uh, uh, step than, like you said, what, what we saw the team in the past. So um, I, I would find all this encouraging and hopefully he actually has a meaningful voice in the decisions they make over the offseason. I, I I can't prove this, but he was hired right before the NFL trade deadline. Now, he wasn't even technically on the books, on the clock until after, but technically he was hired before. When that hire came in, my thought was they're definitely trading Montez Sweater Chase Young right now. Yep, yep. That they traded them both is a whole other thing. But I was like, this is, and then, and then of course they do it. And this very much says to me, like, hey, look, paying these guys, I mean, obviously Montez Sweat, you know, that's the one I think people wanted to keep. But regardless, it, it very much said to me, like, this was a, a decision of looking at it, like the production is just not enough to justify the salary. Um, and that's why I'll be curious to see what happens. But it's also weird that I don't know if it's weird, but that they hired him before they hired anybody else. What if Adam Peters is not? What if, what if he has his own analytics guy? Or I don't know. It, that, that was a part that I think was confusing to people. Yeah, that's that's the hope is that Peters was brought on with the understanding that um, Shen and this kind of thinking was going to be a part in the process. So ho- hopefully they're aligned in that way, and they they both have a voice in the organization. Um, I guess just to put a bow on the Super Bowl, I, I don't know if there's anything in, in from the play itself that, that that stands out to you, but obviously there was a lot of controversy about Kyle Shanahan going for or taking the ball in overtime rather than kicking it away. And there, people seem to be saying, oh, it's he should definitely have kicked it away for whatever the reason. It doesn't, but, but I see some of the numbers being projected out there, and it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal either way for what the con for how hot the conversation is so where are you at on this is this much to do about nothing or was there was there a real way to lean in this in this decision i think the short answer is much to do about nothing and i think reasonable people can do their own calculations and come down on either side of whether you should um take the ball first or second but whichever side you come down on the margins are very narrow and very, very sensitive to assumptions you make, because when you do these calculations, you have to say, what is the percentage chance I'm going to score a touchdown and a field goal and my opponent scoring a touchdown and a field goal. And if we get the ball second and have to go for two, then how likely are we to convert a two point? And like all these things, if you think you know the answer to these down to one percentage point, then you're probably lying to yourself about how precise we can really get these. So like you could get assumptions to say uh, the team getting the ball first is going to win 52% of the time or 48% of the time, but it's, it's going to be pretty close to 50, 50, no matter what. Um, I think a lot of why the 49ers got roasted for this is because it's, the players' comments made it sound like they didn't understand the rules and that right. I don't know if it matters that much because if, if you're the offense, then you're going out there trying to score a touchdown. So um, I think it, it just, it, it possibly reflects poorly on the coaching staff communicating like the rules and why we're doing this. But in terms of the practical impact of the play, then 
like the decision itself probably wasn't that important. If I had to make a decision, I would say these are two really good offenses. The better the offenses are, the more likely you are going to want to have the ball second because um, the the benefit of having the ball second is that um, you, first of all, you know what the first team did. So if the first team scored, then you're going to have all four downs available to you. Like we saw the Chiefs, they went for a fourth down and got it. And also, um, the you're more likely to have a benefit going second in the case where both teams score a touchdown because if that doesn't happen, then the uh, if neither team scores or both teams score a field goal, then the the team that got the ball first is going to get the ball after those first two possessions with sudden death, which if you have the ball second, you don't want. So if, if it's more likely that both teams are going to score a touchdown, which I think this was the case because these were two really good offenses, then that should push you towards getting the ball second and then going for two if you score the touchdown. But again, this is very close, and this was a very long answer to say that I don't think it was that big of a deal. Anyway. <laughs> I, I, I hear. Um, we're we're going to get to the commanders in a second, but I just to follow up on this, I think this is one of the interesting points about, as you well know, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a constant analytics conversation in this country in the sports media and sports consumer conversation about, you know, is, 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 or some, like, is Dan Campbell being insane? to the degree that he's going for stuff and are other people being overly conservative still, they're not picking up, but whatever the numbers are, they don't, I, I think the one question I have sometimes and others do as well is, does it reflect what is at, what the reality for what the situation is? In other words, in this case, with the, the decision to take the ball in overtime first or not, the numbers don't say, Hey, the guy who was on the other side of the field is arguing <laughs> is trending to be the greatest quarterback ever who doesn't screw up, you know he's going to do something. Does that need to be weighed in? Or, on the other hand, San Francisco's defense seemed to be possibly getting tired having to you know, deal with Mahomes in the fourth quarter. There maybe it made sense for Shanahan to give them a break. How does any of that stuff get 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 factored in when the numbers – I don't. I guess I still get sense the numbers take that into account, but you tell me and tell us how, to, how does that factor in. No, I definitely agree with you. The Mahomes thing is something that other than to the other than like the difference in team strength, um, which is usually taken into account by like, for example, the point spread prior to the game that is baked in a little bit. But by the time you get to overtime, not so much. But I the way I would approach it is say, here's the model. Here are the factors that we can take into account and then properly used, we would have these other factors, like the ones that you just said, that might nudge us in one direction or another if it was close, like it was in this case. And here we have, on the one hand, you're playing as Patrick Mahomes, so you're, you should re respect the possibility that he's going to go down and score a touchdown, especially if he has four downs available to him like he did in the Super Bowl. Yeah, And then, yeah, the, I think the defense is another factor. And I could actually talk myself into that going either way. On the one hand, yes, they, they had just been on the field for that drive at the end of regulation, and they were probably tired. But at the same time, if you think they're tired, then they're probably going to have a harder chance of stopping Patrick Mahomes if he has all four downs available to him. So I, I'm not sure which direction that would actually put it. Yes, th those are the kind of additional considerations that you would think a head coach would be adding on top of what the model can tell you. Yeah, no, that for sure. Mahomes, I assume, breaks many models. Uh, <laughs> with what he would hit, with what he can do. Um, all right, all right, let me get you out of here before I come up with another question. I forgot to ask you. Uh, again, go follow Ben on Twitter. Um, you know, 
it, it, it's a lock, especially in football season. You got to have him on follow him both of those accounts, including the fourth down one. The fourth down one is often a good, uh, you know, uh, when when situations come up to see, hey, what was what are the numbers showing here? It's, we can all have our assumptions, but it's good to have some of that baseline knowledge as well. My guy, you rock. Uh, we'll, hopefully, maybe we'll talk, like I said, before the draft, and uh, we'll see what happens. Thanks for having me. All right. Many thanks to Ben Baldwin for his time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. Um, one, uh, one, one thing I just wanted to mention just for the, for the heck of it. I was on with Grant and Danny the other day, of course, on 106.7 The Fan. And I think Grant asked me some questions at the end of the interview about if I you know, if, he, if he's giving me you know a hundred hundred bucks or hundred coins or whatever, how, how much am I putting down on different scenarios at quarterback? And I believe the scenarios were stay pat at two and then you know take one of those one of those guys trade up to one, trade down or stay at two and pick something else that's not a quarterback at all. I think I threw that one away and just said I'm not going to do that at this point. And I, I definitely put lower percentages on trading up or trading down, but I, I'm open. And then I think it was like 70% uh, of whatever assets I had on uh, staying pat. But uh, Grant took me even saying anything about possibly trading up. I think I said like 20% as like, hey, Ben would be open to doing this. And I just and just for fun, I wanted to clarify because, you know, I heard about it a little bit from people. Um my my point for any of these things is I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what is going to be uncovered. And therefore, I'm not going to just say I will 100% do X, even if it is what I would do overwhelmingly, right? Similar to what we just went through with the quarter with the head coach situation. I was not in the it's got to be Ben Johnson or else because if, among the reasons why, what if something happens? Whether that was they just they interview him and decide he's not for them, or he decides, hey, they're not for me, then what? You have to have other options. You have to be thoroughly vetted in what else you're going to do. And, you know, in the case of the quarterback, obviously not only is that the most important position you need to do that, but who knows? Like if obviously they've done a lot of homework on these guys. But this is now the first time, as I said, that everybody's being assembled together to have these discussions meaning Adam Peters, Dan Quinn, the staff, et cetera, even Josh Harris to a degree. Um, if they, if their eventual evaluation is that Caleb Williams is miles ahead of those other guys, and I say miles, okay, whatever, you, I'll come down and just say ahead of them, a, a good tier ahead of them. Like they see there's a real difference there. Well, but then maybe you have to ask yourself the question, what is actually the cost? And, and I know there's been reports that it would take like some – generational offer to move the bears off of one. I, you know, again, I, I would like to see what happens, but okay. I bought, I buy that. They're probably likely to, to keep him. So that's what I just want to be clear. Like that to me is the story. Same thing with trading down. What am I getting? I need to know. I mean, if some team is willing to trade three ones, three twos to move up for two, because they're further down. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to listen. And I know what I just said was sort of the extreme, but that's my point. I got to investigate everything. I mean, there is a world where trading down, if you, especially if you like, say, a, a J.J. McCarthy from Michigan or a Michael Penix Jr. from Washington, where you think, hey, we can trade down, take one of those guys, but then add more picks this year, future picks next year, maybe you get a, a, a veteran player, whatever it is. I'm going to look at everything. That's all I'm saying. I'm not suggesting that that would be my number one choice, trading up or trading down. I'm just saying, you know, 
don't get caught up. My suggestion, at least, don't get caught up in, they've got to do this. I don't see that. Now, if they're ta- if they're saying it too, it's pretty much got to be a quarterback, okay? That, we can put that part aside. Plus, the only other player who seems to be getting any mention there is Marvin Harrison, and we just sort of discussed, I don't think drafting Marvin Harrison at two or four or whatever would be the best move for his team that has a bunch of holes and has already invested uh, in Terry McLaurin and John Dodson. So I would... Um, I would not, uh, I, that would be my one thing. If you're going to stay at two, take a quarterback. Other than that, I think there's nothing wrong with exploring it. Have these conversations. This is the entire point of all of this. It isn't just to sort of force a narrative. It's to explore what is happening here. And that's what I think also they did with the coaching search to agree. Whether they wanted Ben Johnson ultimately or not, they had other options. Because you never know. Have other options here because you'll never know. That's all i got to say about that. All right. That is it for me. Thanks again to Ben Baldwin for his time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. Uh, More to come this week for sure. And then next week in Indianapolis for the NFL Combine. But that is it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. See you. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.